Hi everyone, I'm Liam Sanyo from Inside Scientific, your favorite online source for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content helping you do your best work. This episode of Expert Answers features Dr. Dwayne Townsend, Associate Professor at the University of Minnesota Medical School, and Dr. Adam Goodwill, Assistant Research Professor at the Indiana University School of Medicine, who recently joined us for a webinar to discuss the fundamentals of pressure volume loop analysis as a means to study cardiac function. Let's get right into it. So let's jump right in and we're going to kick things off with a few questions that came in from registration. First one being, what is the most, what are the most important parameters which I have to pay attention to during data recording with animals and data processing? Dwayne, maybe I'll direct this one to you first. Yeah. So one thing that I, I didn't mention, uh, but is really important is temperature. Uh, so maintaining core body temperature, especially in the mouse is a huge, huge issue. Um, so that's number one thing to watch. Number two thing to watch is it's kind of a combination between heart rate and blood pressure to kind of get a sense for how the mouse is doing. Those are the the heart rate I watch pretty closely. Um, and then the, uh, the positive derivative is another thing that I'll watch during the recording to kind of see how they're doing. And it depends a little bit on the analysis system you have, but I like to watch the trends. And so once you get it kind of instrumented, you know, as I mentioned, I have, uh, there's a fluid loading portion of my protocols. Uh, so during that period, I'm watching them very carefully to make sure that, you know, they're not decompensating or there's not some other issue that might be playing a role looking for, you know, bleeding somewhere that I might be able to do something about. Those are all things that are, are useful to, to monitor as you're, as you're doing this preparation. All right. Great answer. Uh, and Adam, do you have anything to add on to that? Um, I think the only thing that I would add is that uh, to be quite honest, um, a lot of, a lot of that answer focused on small animal and, and my experience with large animal would say that you really need to be diligent about the same things in large animal. I think a lot of times we, we, write off temperature regulation in particular in large animals and just assume that if you have a pig or dog on the table, it's going to stay plenty warm. And that's that's quite simply not the case. Hemodynamic stability, all the very same factors are, I think, are translatable across pretty much any model you'd work in. Excellent. All right. Thanks. And we actually do have uh, David and Brenton here from the AD Instruments team. David or Brenton, what's your perspective on this? Yeah, I thought I... Hello, everybody. Um, this is Brenton from AD Instruments. I just wanted to um, highlight that all of these tips and tricks, um, there are different tools that um, our support and our sales team can walk through that allow the visualization to make sure that the temperature, heart rate, blood pressure, all of these items are visualized and accurately captured and um, allowing you to really keep the animal performing well. All right, perfect. A few people here have asked about uh, anesthesia. And so how does anesthesia affect PV loops in different animal models or strains? Uh, and do you have a preferred anesthetic? Uh, you know, what is the, the composition to mitigate depression of cardiovascular function? And so Adam, I know you measure PV loops in a few different animal models. What's your experience with this? Um, so almost always when we're measuring pressure volume relationships, we're using a combination of alpha chlorulose and morphine. 
And we really, we've relied on that. There's a, it's, it's not as common as inhaled anesthetics uh, by any means, and it's only appropriate for acute use. Um, so it would have to be for a terminal procedure. Um, but the advantage of the alpha chlorulose morphine mixture is that it really provides pretty impressive hemodynamic stability, doesn't have significant effects on pressure responses. And so we find that you end up with an animal that remains stable for a much longer period than um, you would on, say, isoflurane or sevoflurane. So on the on the mouse front, so I'm I'm not a big fan of injectables in mice just because it's so hard to go backwards and it's so easy to overdose them. Um, so we use inhalants almost exclusively, so uh, isoflurane. Um, and one one of the tricks we use to sort of minimize the the cardiodepressive effects of the inhalants is that we'll use a two-stage anesthetic protocol. So once we once we induce them, uh, we'll then step down to about two percent. That's where we maintain them, um, and it depends from system to system. So you kind of have to play it a little bit by ear or eye, whatever, uh, to see how how your animals respond to your system. But in our system, uh, we do all of our surgery, surgical manipulations at 2%. And then once we get the catheter in and the animal's instrumented and uh, relatively stable, then we'll actually turn them down. Um, and so we'll put them into a, uh, I like to think of it as a really deep sedation. We couldn't do any additional surgical manipulations because they would start twitching and they'd feel that, but they're okay just kind of hanging out there. And we find that by sort of backing off the anesthetic, we can see a recovery of some of the hemodynamic function, uh, and it gives a reasonably good. Dwayne, you're just uh, breaking up a bit. I'm just going to call you on the phone line here. And as we reconnect, Dwayne, I maybe just move on to the, the next question. How important is accurate determination of VNOT? Uh, so Adam, maybe we could start with you. Sure. So when we talked about end-systolic pressure volume relationships, we broke it down into end-systolic lacidants and V-naught. And the thing about it is that you draw the line, the or the software realistically draws the line, based on the series of end-systolic pressure volume relationships. So the quality of your IVC occlusion, the quality of your preload reduction is going to determine both sort of the, the straightness of your line as well as the accuracy of your V-naught. So to get an accurate V-naught, you want to make sure that you have high quality occlusions that you're you're actually sampling across an appropriate number of uh, cardiac cycles. And as Dwayne touched on, that you are accounting for anomalies that occur. Now, the reason it becomes important to have an accurate V-naught is to make sure that your interpretation of EES is appropriate. So uh, Burkhoff and Suga have both published papers talking about how if V-naught changes, there are theoretical situations under which something may look like contractility, but may not be contractility simply because of that shift in V-naught. Now, V-naught can change. You just have to do uh, analysis for covariance to make sure that you're accounting for the fact that both EES and V-naught are changing. So I would say it's actually pretty important to make sure that you're confident in your V-naught value, simply to make sure that the next step that you're making is the right step. But to be confident in the V-naught value, it all comes down to being confident in that preload reduction that you performed. Excellent. Thanks, Adam. And Dwayne, are you back with us here? I think so. Excellent. Yeah, perfect. I'm, I'm always with me. So... Um, <laughs> In the uh, the issue with the V naught uh, in rodents, it gets to that point where 
uh, we talked about how at some point you actually start just shrinking your curves rather than them shifting shifting down and that it may be playing a role in the, the degree of you're just starving the heart and so contractility contraction is reducing because it's not getting perfused sufficiently which is different than having a difference in contractility and so your v naught uh, if it's stable, you know, okay, that's probably not happening. Uh, but if that's moving around, you may have to look at how what's happening during those occlusions. Am I really decreasing preload and seeing a reduction in contractility in response to that? Or am I maybe a little bit of reducing preload, but then also a reduction in perfusion pressures, which are then resulting in a decline in function? All right. Fantastic. How reliable is this technology versus ECHO? or other their technologies. And so, uh, Duane, what do you think about this one? You know, it's it depends what you mean by reliability. So if you are, in almost all of our study designs, we're rarely actually comparing, you know, PV volume data to echo data, right? And so if you get a stroke volume from the echo, it's probably not gonna be the same as the stroke volume that you get from your PV data, even from the same mice. It should be in the ballpark. But what really you, you need to compare your controls with the same modality. So if you've got a control mouse and then a you know transgenic mouse, or you've got a control period and then you give a drug and you have your treated product treat, treated period. Um, so from that range, if there's no effect, your volume will change. Your 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 parameters will stay the same uh, across the treated and untreated versions in within the PV the PV setting. Um, the as Adam talked about is Echo has some advantages, you know, the ability to follow the same animal serially. Um, but the big downfall is it doesn't have any real pressure measure. And so you have a difficult time assessing how much uh, how much pressure is being generated and how much of that pressure is because of load dependent issues. Um, and so that's the that sort of becomes the the question is so is it reliable in that you can yes if you are if you're you know fastidious about your surgical approach and your anesthesia and your maintenance and your monitoring and all of that you can get highly reliable repeatable data out of pressure volume loops there are a lot of little steps that you got to pay attention to as we've spent you know the last hour talking about um, but those are all come when they come together you can get very very nice and repeatable data you know, when you compare the absolute volumes, there's a lot of different assumptions that are made. So the uh, the assumptions that echoes make, you know, is you've got that one one or two beats that you're looking at, and you can define aspects of the uh, of the ventricular wall. But there's assumptions that are made, just like the PV loop. The PV loop assumes that the ventricle is a cylinder, right? And so when it's not a cylinder, uh, then it'll be off by a little bit. Uh, and I think there's been a couple of other uh, uh, webinars on sort of the understanding some of these differences in the pressure volume loops. I mean, you can check up in the resource tabs. I think you'll find some useful information there as well. Adam, All right, fantastic answer. And Adam, anything to add on to that about the, the reliability of PV loops versus other technologies, other, other alternatives like ECHO? So I'm I'm in the same boat as Dwayne on this one. We don't we don't make it a practice of um, in the lab trying to measure the same metrics by multiple modalities. Um, I think there is a robust body of literature out there from folks who have made the effort to cross validate. And I think Dwayne's absolutely right. You'll you'll never get um, it, not never. You'll it'd be 
shocking to ever find a circumstance where you were consistently getting exactly identical values between multiple modalities because everything, as he said, builds on assumptions. As an anecdote in our hands, we, we try to keep busy and PV is a big part of the research that we do. And one of the questions that that we've sort of asked ourselves through the years is if we look back through our historic controls, are we seeing similar values? Because we've changed numerous catheters through the years, obviously, because uh, over time they just wear down and break. We've upgraded our software from, from time to time. And, and going back and sort of looking through historic data over uh, 10 or so years of pressure volume acquisition, we get Basically, if we if we account for, you know, that we're looking only at animals of the same age and the same size and the same condition, we find that we typically get pretty comparable end diastolic volumes and end systolic volumes. So with regards to reproducibility in our hands, it's been really high and we've been extremely pleased with with the technology. Excellent. All right. And I think I'll give the last word to the ADI team. Uh, Brenton and David, what's your perspective on this one? I wanted to echo what what I heard from both Adam and Dwayne in, um, you know, the volume of literature that, that does back it, back this technology up. Additional tools um, that specifically speaking towards AD instruments and lab chart, there are ways that you can sort of mesh echo with PV loop. If that's, if your protocol would, would choose to, to, go that route um, through echo volume fit. So it's certainly stuff that if if it's information you want to talk about, I invite anybody to um, contact us through the information that you see in your screen, and we'll be happy to talk about how this impacts your research. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.